walking without skin, managing adversity with vulnerability. Because when we're facing challenges, we do feel overwhelmed. And it's the size of that overwhelm that we don't feel we can cope with. But if we can break it down into a smaller problem, a bite-sized problem, I guess, and if we just can figure that one out, it gives us such a sense of achievement that it then helps to give us courage and energy to take on the next challenge as well. Because people don't think that we can do anything. They think we sit in a corner at home and get looked after by people. Where can I find some protection? You are listening to Walking Without Skin, the show where we encourage our guests to be vulnerable, to share their voices with authenticity, to tell their stories from the heart. We will talk about hope and recovery, about overcoming loss, changes, challenges, and adversities. We will walk without skin. And here is your host, Lois Wagner. Hi, I am Lois, your friend for forgiveness and the creator of Walking Without Skin. I have a book with the same title, Walking Without Skin. And today I'm going to be talking to a very special friend and colleague and namesake. I'm speaking to Lois Strachan. Hi, Lois. How are you doing, Lois? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Fabulous. Now, Lois Strachan is a best-selling author, motivational speaker, disability advocate, blogger, accessible travel podcaster, and sometime rock musician. And she's totally blind, having lost her sight at the age of 21 as a result of childhood onset diabetes. Lois, before we get into your work, Please, can you tell me what the phrase walking without skin means to you? I think it's so tempting when we go through a period of change, when we go through challenges, to kind of cocoon, to safeguard ourselves. And for me, walking without skin is finding the courage to move forward despite that challenge, despite everything that's happened, knowing that you are making yourself vulnerable, but still understanding the importance of being seen, being heard, and having your story out there in the world. That's a great insight. Thank you for that. 
So Lois uses her personal story to enable audiences to gain techniques to adapt to change, to develop resilience and to overcome challenges they encounter in their business and in their life. So what led you, Lois, to do this? What prompted you to start this particular journey? It's been a very long journey for me because, you know, I lost my sight at the age of 21. And for years, I truly believed that it wasn't important how I made the decision to move forward. The only thing that was important was that I was able to move forward. And I've had people for years who've said to me, you need to start sharing your story. You need to start telling people how you moved forward, how you took that decision. And I really couldn't see that because, you know, I think as human beings, if we start talking about ourselves and our journeys, particularly something that's been an obstacle or a challenge or a trauma, we think we are drawing attention to ourselves without there being a reason to do so. We kind of feel that it's making ourselves more important than perhaps we, we feel we ought to be. But that's not the reason. The reason is more to be able to share techniques and to help other people believe that they can also move through their challenges, move through their traumas and continue growing and living and moving forwards. It's hard to tell one's own story. It's hard to feel that one has a story to share because when things happen, we often feel like it's happened just to us. But the reality is that there are a lot of people in the world who can learn from what happens to us, who can empathize or have been through something similar and can gain strength, can gain courage, can gain techniques and tools that will help them moving through their own challenges. So sharing that story has become a very important part of my life. It just took me a long time to understand that that was the case. It wasn't just me talking to everybody about what had happened to me. It was teaching others things that they can find of value in their own situations. So let's go back a little bit and just share a little bit of your story uh, in terms of what happened, when it happened, and how you coped initially. I suppose I've got to go back quite a long way. I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic when I was six years old. Now, that type 1 diabetes is usually a hereditary form of diabetes. But in my case, there's no one in my family who have... A history of diabetes. Diabetes is a condition that the body cannot uh, absorb sugar or carbohydrates and it has some nasty side effects because any sugar, any carbohydrate can go into the bloodstream and thicken the blood and it causes complications. 
that are quite far ranging and around 60% of people who've been living with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes for a long time, as I had, do experience a, a, a problem with their eyesight. And in my case, I was, my, the, the first time I had any problems, I was actually on my 20th birthday, I noticed a mark in my eyesight. And that led to, wow, almost two years of various treatments, laser surgery. And when that didn't work, when I had my, my condition deteriorated, I then went, they had to do surgical operations, which I had three on each eye. And at the end of that, I was declared permanently blind. And that then started a whole new chapter of saying, well, what now? And how? How do I do things without eyesight? And it, it was a, a huge shift. And I do count myself really, really fortunate that while it was traumatic for me and for those around me, I had so many of the, the core resources that I needed to help make that shift and that change in my life. What were some of those core resources? Well, primarily my friends and my family who were for the most part incredibly supportive. I had a fantastic uh, contact with organizations who were able to support me, like the KwaZulu-Natal Society for the Blind, and more recently, the Cape Town Society for the Blind, and the South African Guide Dogs Association. So those have been fantastic resources that I've been able to draw on to gain skills. But I think primarily, the resources that I had were internal, internal to me, to my personality, to my own being and the, the determination to move forwards, the ability to problem solve and break problems down into smaller pieces, that really helped. And I do generally have a very positive attitude. Rather, I should say I have an attitude that is what is often referred to as a can do attitude, which basically means that if I come up against an obstacle or a challenge or a, a new task, I'm going to come to it from the perspective that I will be able to do it. And I just have to figure out how. And I think all of those really did help me to pick myself up, dust myself off, and continue moving forwards. Where did you get, or how did you develop those inner resources? I'm not entirely sure. I think a lot of it comes from my upbringing and the example that was given to me by my mother and my grandmother, and my maternal grandmother, both of whom experienced challenges of their own, and yet were incredibly resilient. So I had the most fantastic role models. Uh, my mother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis probably a year before I was diagnosed with diabetes. And I saw the way that she just 
got up and dusted herself off and, and got on and did the things that she could and also moved past the things that were no longer possible as her condition deteriorated. And my grandmother, who, as she grew older, developed hearing loss and learning some of the skills and the techniques that she learned to overcome that and still be an incredibly sociable person and charming and comfortable in social situations. I think those were important uh, role models for me. But beyond that, I, I don't always know. I think sometimes we all have the ability to do things and we can develop new abilities. We can learn new ways of being. But I think for me, I was just fortunate that the seeds were already there. So it was easier for me to develop those skills because I'd seen them and been working on them over the years. Well, you certainly, you certainly inherited your grandmother's charm and, <laughs> and social skills. You certainly have those. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> Just a comment. You often say, I see, I see this, I see that. How do people relate to you when you say that? Most people who are visually impaired, we don't struggle with using terms around sight, around vision. More often we see that people that we engage with, we interact with, that they sit with a, a sense of, it's wrong to use a word see when talking to someone who cannot see. But it's actually worse to become aware self, you know, to become self-conscious of it. So just talk normally when you talk to someone. And, you know, it just is the way I speak, I guess. And I do feel that I see. I just see in a different way. I like that. Uh, you mentioned the guide dogs, and mm. you've written a couple of books, or your dog has written a book. <laughs> Do you want to share a little story about that? About Fiji's book or about Fiji in general? Both. <laughs> so Fiji is my third guide dog, and I've I've found working with a guide dog has given me so much independence. I'm not saying that guide dogs give you more independence than white cane does, not at all. Both are incredibly useful. Tools almost feels wrong when talking about a guide dog, but they are. They are, um, they are assistants. They are tools that really help to give somebody with a visual impairment the safety, the security of being able to sense what's around them when walking and to give them independence. So for me, I choose to use a guide dog and I'm absolutely thrilled to have been able to do so, but neither is better a cane or a dog. So when I first got Fiji, I had been running a blog for about two years on and off. I wasn't particularly good about posting on my blog, but it had been running for about two years. And one day I thought, well, 
Fiji should introduce herself on the blog. And from there, it came down to Fiji writing an article once a month for my blog called the Pause for Thought Articles. And that is pause, P-A-W-E-H. <laughs> Correct, yes. So it's on my blog on loisstrachan.com and it's there under the category of pause for thought. And over the years, there's just been so many articles that I thought it would make beautiful sense to write a book about Fiji, about her life, but from her perspective. And that's what we landed up doing. And we started at the beginning of 2021. I've worked really hard on this one. And we published it in the middle of September. And it talks about her life from um, being a very young puppy before she went into puppy walking, right the way through the process of being trained. And then the now five and a half years that she and I have been working together. And some of the wonderful, funny, amazing, and extraordinary experiences that she and I have had together. But from her perspective as a dog. And it is such a delightful read. And we just a couple of months before Christmas makes a fabulous Christmas stocking filler. So do go and get it. It's, it's good reading for anybody of any age. Delightful, delightful book. I've had a lot of fun with the book and with marketing it and just seeing the, the responses that people do seem to be enjoying it, which is always great to receive that kind of feedback. And my dog and I are very happy about it. <laughs> uh, she looks beautiful. Lois, tell us about some of your other books. The first books that I wrote, I wrote four illustrated children's books for children aged mm, two to 95, I guess, because it really has depended what, what people are looking for. They are The Adventures of Missy Mouse. And Missy Mouse is blind, and it shows children some of the tools and techniques that a person with a, or a mouse with a visual impairment use to accomplish everyday tasks. I'm in the process actually of looking at making those uh, more inclusive because at the moment they're only available for sighted children or for a sighted parent to read to a visually impaired child. So those are four books. There are four in that series. And my fifth book is A Different Way of Seeing, A Blind Woman's Journey of Living an Ordinary Life in an Extraordinary Way. And that's a story of some of the tools and techniques that I use in my everyday life, coupled with stories of things that I've done since losing my sight. And it's... It is a memoir, I suppose it's the best way to characterize it as a memoir, an inspirational memoir, but it's not a memoir in the strict story of, I was born here, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. So it's not quite structured like that. It's um, done into different categories of 
what life is like, how I manage at home, how I manage with my clothing and my makeup, the technology I use and how that all works, things I've done in my work, in my leisure time. Of course, lots more stories about my guide dogs mm -hmm. and then something that's become an increasing part of my life, the way I travel and engage with tourism and the, the hospitality industries, which is also what my podcast is about. Would you like to share just one quick short story of something in your life that you've had to overcome and how you overcame it? I think, you know, the very first challenge that I had when I lost my sight, way back when I was 21 years old, I'd been blind for about two months, I went back to university. And I went back to university not having a clue how I was going to do it. I didn't know how I was going to take notes and lectures. I didn't know how I was going to take or do any of my readings, write my essays, write my exams. And it became one of those things that when I sat down and started thinking about it, it just seemed so overwhelming. And what I realized was all I had to do was just figure out just one step at a time. And each of those challenges that I faced, those little micro problems, I just had to find a solution to that. So I figured out a way that I could take notes in lectures and I, I started, this is going back a long time, I started recording my lectures on cassette audio. And then once I had a week's worth of lectures, I would listen to them all and make summaries in audio. Eventually I got the use of a, a computer, braille computer. And it, it just became working out that if I could just find one smaller problem and find a solution to that small problem, that it would mean that I could move forwards and tackle the next problem. And I think that's become a huge part of my life that I've come to understand is so important about overcoming challenges, working through challenges. You don't have to figure out the entire solution because when we're facing challenges, we do feel overwhelmed and it's the size of that overwhelm that we don't feel we can cope with. But if we can break it down into a smaller problem, a bite-sized problem, I guess, and if we just configure that one out, it gives us such a sense of achievement that it then helps to give us courage and energy to take on the next challenge as well. And as you say, you reward yourself for each achievement and that it further encourages you. Absolutely. And there are other ways. I mean, I there are two things that have been things that I've always loved. One is music and one is reading. And I use those as rewards for myself when I'm working through a challenge. If I've got something that I really don't feel like doing it, I set myself and say the task and say, if I finish this amount of work, I can read a chapter of a book. Or if I finish this project, 
I can just sit and listen to some music. Or if I finish this particular task that's been sitting on my to-do list for five days, I can spend 15 minutes on Facebook. <laughs> and I find that being able to do that gives me an incentive, I suppose, to just do the next part of the task. And then, yay, now I can do something to reward myself. So it does help. It really does. And how did you write your exams? <laughs> Back then, I have to say, I had a fantastic, I was with fantastic departments at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. And I arranged with my department heads that I would be able to record my exam answers onto an audio cassette and the department secretaries would transcribe them for me. Back then, I didn't have computer skills. Now, if I were to do an exam, I would probably just type it on a standard PC with a screen reader app that talks back to me. So anything that you see on the computer screen, I can hear and I know how to touch type. And as I type, it also speaks to me what I'm typing. So that's how I would do an exam now. But back then it was all done on, on audio. <laughs> do you ever find that you've written gob gobbledygook? Uh, totally. But I don't write as much gobbledygook as when my dogs walk up, stick their head down on my laptop um, keyboard, and suddenly strange letters appear. <laughs> I have that problem I, with the cats. <laughs> <laughs> the joys of having animals. <laughs> you know, you said uh, Fiji is a tool, but the, the advantage of a dog over a cane is you can really love the dog. <laughs> you can. The other advantage, and I do say this slightly tongue-in-cheek, is that people don't look at you oddly if you're talking to a dog. Whereas if you're just walking along talking to yourself, <laughs> they might well be. <laughs> so if you could have a billboard on the side of the road, what would you have on your billboard? Disability does not mean inability. Oh, that's fa fabulous, fabulous. It's, it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, that those of us in the disabled community face is not limitations that we experience, but the imposed perceptions that people think we can't do anything. So they don't expect us to be able to do anything. So therefore, they just don't expect anything of us at all. And those low expectations can be seen in pretty much any and every aspect of life. Which is why if we're looking at South Africa at the moment, only around 1% of people with disabilities are employed. Sure, that's a sad statistic. Because people don't think that we can do anything. They think we sit in a corner at home and get looked after by people. And it's just not true. There is so much potential and you know, I, I, I often tell people that the only difference with my abilities being blind and a sighted person's abilities got nothing to do about the ability the potential the only difference 
is that I use different tools and different techniques. But I often challenge um, audiences when I speak and say to them, there's nothing that a sighted person can do that I can't find a way to do myself. And I've yet for someone to come up with something and say, what about this? And I go, well, I would do it this way. I've yet to find something that I cannot do that a sighted person can. People should really read your book because it's so insightful as well, how you've overcome choosing colors and clothes and your wardrobe and your makeup. It's fascinating. It's just like anything. I believe that I will find a solution. And in probably 99% of the, the cases, I'm right. I can find a, suggest, a solution. And, you know, it, that, that's the, the, the best thing for me about approaching a challenge or a problem or you know, whatever it is, with the assumption that I will be able to do it. Because it shifts the questions. You're no longer sitting with the uncertainty of whether or not you can do it, you're looking at the far more concrete reality of, okay, I can do it, how? And by shifting the questions that you ask yourself, it makes it a lot easier to find those solutions. Have you ever had your husband or a friend uh, tease you by mixing things up and putting them in the wrong place? Have you ever had that problem? I haven't that I know of. <laughs> I have, on the other hand, mixed things up myself, like leaving the house with one black boot on and one brown boot on. Because when I bought them in the shops, they were so comfortable. I thought, I'd better get a pair in each color. They are just so comfortable. Totally forgetting that I wouldn't be able to tell them apart when they were in my cupboard. And then there was the time that I mixed my makeup containers up and got my makeup on backwards. <laughs> so smearing chocolate brown eyeshadow over my eyes and just a little bit of pale peach on the corner instead of the other way around like I normally wear it. So I do enough of that mix-up stuff myself. I don't need other people to do it. <laughs> Well, I've sighted and I've done that with the shoes. I went to work one day <laughs> with a brown and a blue shoe on. They were identical as well. And I didn't notice it. In fact, nobody else noticed it all day. <laughs> well, that's a relief to know. <laughs> it was quite funny because we, were, we, we had uniforms and we were trying on new uniforms. And only when I put on my uniform and I looked down did I notice that my shoes were different. And then I said to everybody, what do you notice about me? And they said, nothing. So I said, well, look from my head to my toes, what do you notice? And even then, most people didn't pick it up. Right. <laughs> I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one who doesn't notice when friends' shoes are wrong or they've had a new haircut. <laughs> Lois, you know that I've got this brave concept uh, to help eradicate bullying and harassment and sexual violence. What does the word brave mean to you? I think I'm going to use brave and courage as synonyms because people 
often ask me how I'm so courageous, how, I have, how I'm so brave, how I have the courage to go out and walk around with my guide dog or to catch a plane on my own or to do the things that I just do as a matter of course. And I've come to the conclusion that courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage or bravery is doing the things that you need to do despite the anxiety or the fear. Excellent. Excellent. Lois, how can listeners reach you? Best way to do that is through my website, which is loisstrachan.com. So it's L-O-I-S-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, loisstrachan.com. I'm on pretty much all the social media except for Instagram. I'm not on TikTok either, but so I'm, I am on, on, I'm on Facebook, I'm on uh, Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, where else? YouTube. But the best is probably through my website, loisstrachan.com. Thank you. What last tip can we leave our listeners who are facing any kind of, uh, before I get there, disability versus differently abled or disabled versus, what, what are your thoughts on these terminology problems? I really, really don't, I, I, feel, I, I, I see the struggle that people without um, a, a personal link to disability have and being scared to use the wrong words. Honestly, I think the most important thing is to understand that it's, it's just a label. Um, the word you use is less important than being able to speak that word without embarrassment. I am blind, that's a reality. But I feel really bad for people who aren't certain when they want to ask me something about my blindness and they are embarrassed about what word to use. Should they say blind? Should they use visually impaired? Should they say differently abled? Just pick a word and speak it with confidence and comfort. Well, that's terrific advice for everybody out there. So let's just get to some tips or advice to people who are differently abled. I think, I don't know that there's specific advice, but specifically due to different or disability or being differently abled. For me, we are human beings. We face challenges just as everybody else does. So it's no difference to the advice that I would give to someone without a disability when facing a challenge. And I think I want to go back to what I said earlier. The problem with facing a challenge or something that is an obstacle or a barrier, obviously it feels overwhelming. And when it feels overwhelming, we can't easily find a way out of that overwhelm. So the best advice that I have in situations like that is to say to people, take a step back and 
Don't even think about trying to work out the entire solution right at the start. Just work out what the next step is. And that applies to us who are not differently abled. <laughs> Absolutely, it applies to anyone. <laughs> it's very, very sound advice. Thank you so much for joining us, Lois. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I would like to invite all of our listeners to visit my website. It's walkingwithoutskin.com. And there you can book a free coaching conversation with me where we can discuss your journey to healing or to your future. So thank you very much, Lois. And I invite everybody to fly free. Thank you for listening to Walking Without Skin. We would love your feedback, opinions, suggestions, and ratings. Please share this podcast far and wide to encourage more people to share their stories with vulnerability and authenticity. <music>